Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lift it up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Gospel record of Luke. The Gospel record of Luke in chapter number 12. The Gospel record of Luke and chapter number 12. Jesus Christ is now on his last year of earthly ministry. He's been preparing for this and teaching his disciples for the last three years. And now he is beginning his journey back to Jerusalem, knowing that when he gets to Jerusalem, he's going to be arrested. He's going to be put on a false illegal trial. He's going to be crucified, put in a borrowed tomb. And on the third day, he's going to rise again. Now, on his way, he's had opposition by the Pharisees. And he is publicly and and hardly rebuked the Pharisees. Then in chapter 12, Jesus looks at the disciples and the multitude of crowd. Remember that there's an innumerable amount of people here in this crowd. And Jesus begins to teach the disciples, meaning those that have made decisions to follow after Christ, not just the 12, but all of the people that have made a decision and told them how to prepare themselves when obstacles come and try to uh, put the emphasis that they need to fear God rather than man. That but their emphasis is they need to be as right with God as possible. They need to be keep the short accounts. They need to be aware that God is their audience that they need to please. Now, what happens in the gospel record of Luke chapter 12 is there's an interruption. If you could imagine a message like we heard this morning, not coming from me, but coming from the Lord Jesus Christ. And to hear that powerful message, and to hear that you need to fear God rather than man, knowing that you're going to stand before God and give an account. And someone, in the middle of the message, interrupts the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice, if you don't mind, as we pick up this interruption in the gospel record of Luke in chapter number 12. The gospel record of Luke chapter 12 and verse number 13. The gospel record of Luke chapter 12 and verse 13. Notice, if you don't mind, the word of God says this. And one of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. And he, Jesus, said unto him, Man... Who made me a judge or divider over you? And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of things which he possesseth. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. And he said unto his disciples, Therefore I say unto you, Take no thought for your life, for what ye shall eat, neither for the body what ye should put on. Light, the life is more than meat, and the body is more than raiment. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which neither have storehouse or barn, and God feedeth them. How much more are ye better than the fowls? And which of you, with taking thought, can add to his stature one cubit? If ye then be not able to do that thing which is the least, why take ye thought for the rest? Consider the lilies, 
how they grow. They toil not, they spin not. Yet I say unto you that Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God can... Or if then God so clothe the grass which is today in the field and tomorrow is cast into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O ye of little faith? And seek not whether ye shall eat or whether what you shall drink, neither ye be of doubtful mind. For all these things do the nations of the world seek after. And your father knoweth what ye have need of these things. But rather, seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom." Sell that ye have, and give alms. Provide yourself bags which wax not old, a treasure in heavens that faileth not, where no thief approacheth, neither moth corrupteth. But, or for, where your heart, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Let your loins be girded about, and your lights burning." And ye yourselves like unto men that wait for their Lord when he shall return from the wedding. And when he cometh and knocketh, they may open unto him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when he cometh, shall find watching. Verily I say unto you that he shall gird himself to make them sit down to meet and will come forth and serve them. And if he will come in the second watch or in the third watch and find them so, blessed are those servants. And this know that if the good man of the house hath known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and would have not suffered his house to be broken through. Be ye therefore ready also, for the Son of Man cometh at an hour when ye think not. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase in the gospel record of Luke chapter 12? The gospel record of Luke chapter 12, and notice with me in verse number 15, the phrase that a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of things. A man's life consisteth not in the abundance of things. And that is a very powerful statement that the Lord Jesus Christ is trying to get across. That a man's life, your life, does not consist of the abundance of things. There is much more that God has for you than things. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come up to you, we're just asking that you would just give grace and that you would give mercy and that you would just help us even now to be looking towards you and that our heart would be towards you and that you would draw us close to you, that we would understand that you have more than just this life and more than just these things. I'm so thankful that you have much more for us. Help us to be amazed and wonder at your word and your promises. And we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now once again remember the context. That the Lord Jesus Christ has been teaching a very powerful message. Trying to teach them that they need to fear God rather than man. And that they need to be prepared to stand before God and give an account. And then a mind-blowing, a baffling thing occurs. And as a preacher I am comforted. That it also happens to the Lord Jesus. But a baffling thing occurs. This guy, after the middle of hearing this wonderful message, interrupts the Lord Jesus Christ with a, with a topic that doesn't matter, especially in the light of what Jesus said. Now again as a preacher it's pretty amazing. That we could preach a powerful message. And a message that you're expecting everyone to come to, uh, to the altar. You're expecting people to make decisions. Because it's not my word it's God's word. And God's word won't return void. And yet it is amazing. That immediately afterwards someone preacher. And they'll say something foolish. And something like, can you just listen to the message? Didn't it change you? And this is the foolish thing you want to talk about 
you want to bring up? You know, the Lord Jesus Christ identifies and talks to him. And you know what he calls him? A fool. He gives a parable that is often called the parable of the rich, uh, the rich fool. But he's saying this in the context of a guy who interrupts him and he calls him a fool. Instead of listening to the message, his mind is consumed with some some material thing. See this interruption in verse number 13. And one of the company. Now may I remind you. That in verse number 1. There's an innumerable multitude of people. And here's this guy. Who's been doing everything he can. To push me out of the way. Get out of the way. I need to get to Jesus. Come. And you can just see him. As Jesus is teaching this message. He's bullhorning and pushing his way. And he gets to the front. Jesus. Notice what he says, if you don't mind. Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. Now, would you notice this? He doesn't ask Jesus anything. He demands of Jesus. He commands Jesus. It wasn't, hey, I've got a problem. Could you maybe mediate with me and help me solve this? No, he already has the decision already made. He wants Jesus to enforce what this man has already come to the conclusion of. Now, this is audacity. This is why Jesus called him a fool. Because he came up demanding of the Lord Jesus Christ. Coming to his own conclusion. Not even considering that he's in the wrong. And publicly, in the middle of a great message, comes up and says something foolish. And Jesus calls him a fool. You could just see the arrogance of this man. To hear a message like that and not changed. And God calls him a fool. Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. So basically, there was a dispute of inheritance. That obviously the brother inherited more. Now, I'll be honest and I don't know anything about their situation. But... Could you understand why the inheritance went to the brother and not him? Yeah. Yeah. That this man's heart was already wrong in the first place and it would be a waste to give the inheritance to someone who's not going to appreciate it, not going to use it wisely and is just going to be selfish with it. Maybe it's just because he's a fool and everybody saw it. Master, I want you to tell my brother to give me some money. Not even asking. Not saying, could you help us? We have a problem. Can you dispute this? No, master. I've already done the thanking for you. Just tell him to give me my stuff. Now again, Jesus preached a message about that you're going to stand before a given account. And this guy ignored the message because I got to get to Jesus. I got to tell him he's going to solve this. Jesus, I don't even know what you're talking about. Let me tell you. Just tell tell him to give me my stuff. What? This whole crowd is watching this man be foolish. Big interruption. Well, Jesus then takes us and turns us to a teaching thing. Notice if you don't mind in verse number 14. And he, Jesus said to him, man. Now, we in our culture, words change. But in in the Middle East culture, especially in the ancient world, when Jesus said man, this is an insulting term. This isn't a nice thing. Even in the Middle East today, when you go and they don't even like you, they'll call you friend. Friend, I think you should do this. Friend. So when Jesus calls him man, this is in front of everyone and it is a very uh, insulting term. Man, you fool. He's, it's a preparation here. This is a fool here he's dealing with. And he's letting the whole crowd know that he's not suffering fools. He's letting know that this is stupid. You interrupt a message. You know how many people are now no longer thinking that they need to go stand before God and give an account? That that conviction has gone away. It's been erased because this guy decides he wants to be foolish and interrupt Jesus' message. Interrupt this train of thought. Interrupt the spirit that's going on. You fool. Man, who made me a judge 
or a divider over you. Now a divider is someone who would settle a financial dispute. It would be a judge, a divider. Many of the Pharisees would act in this role and they would, somebody would have a financial dispute, they would settle it and usually the Pharisees would end up taking part of the profit in order to settle it. So Jesus is not having any of that. Jesus doesn't want the money, doesn't need the money, not the thing. It's not the important thing here. You're missing everything. Who, who am I to be the divider over you? That's not my job to sort out your financial issues. We've got something more important than that going on. Verse number 15, and he said to them, hey, that's all he's done. He's done with the fool. <laughs> Man, it's not my job to fix your financial problems. Boys, let me tell you something. So that's all he said to this guy. Why? Because the guy's not going to listen. Why waste his time correcting someone who's a fool? But since we got a fool here, let's go ahead and teach you something about this fool. Again, for those who think that Jesus just has nothing but loving messages, this is pretty hard. Notice as he now addresses them, the crowd, the disciples. Take heed and beware of covetousness. Wow. Here's this guy who interrupts this message to say, Tell master, tell him to share with me. Jesus turns to the crowd says, Alright, this is a fool. Alright, everyone look at the fool. Beware of covetousness. Now let's define covetousness. Covetousness is desiring something that's not God's will for you to have. This man wanted something that wasn't currently God's will to have. It's mine. He has all the money. He has all the stuff. He's not sharing. I should have it. I deserve it. I want it. And Jesus turns, beware, don't be like this. Don't be covetousness. Be careful of covetousness. Why? For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of things which he possesseth. Now that's a powerful statement. Because to be honest, most people live for this world and they live for things. I need my phone. I need my TV. I need my cable. I need my Netflix. I need my Facebook. I need my games. I need my toys. I need my car. I need my truck. And it's all about stuff. It's all about things. It's all about what I don't have. Not just what I have. It's what I don't have. I need a bigger truck. I need a bigger car. I need a bigger toy. I need the upgraded system. I need this and I need this. And if we be honest, that's the world we live in. They want stuff. And it's all about stuff. And they're consumed with stuff. And the stuff they don't have. And the stuff they, they do have. And your life is more than stuff. Your life is more than stuff. Your life is more than stuff. Now with this, let's learn as Jesus Christ takes the time and teaches us that our life is more than stuff. In fact, we have something much more that God has for us than stuff. And if all we live is for stuff, we're going to miss out on the wonderful things God has for us. Notice if you don't mind, the parable of the rich fool. The parable of the rich fool. So Jesus then immediately goes into a parable. And one of the most memorable of Jesus' parables. The parable of the rich fool. Notice if you don't mind this parable in verse 16. And he spake a parable unto them. No, notice he's still not talking to the fool. He's done talking to the fool. He doesn't talk to him again. He's using this as an illustration to teach all of the disciples and using this as an opportunity to try to teach people a lesson. And he spake a parable unto them saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself saying, What shall I do? Because I have no more room to bestow my fruits. So here's a man who's wealthy and he happened to come into plenty and now he has more of his fruits than he can store. So let's go ahead and tear down the barns I currently have and let's build bigger. 
And isn't that the heart of the world? Let's make bigger. Let's make better. Let's tear down what's already being in use. And let's get bigger stuff so we can put more stuff into it. And it's all about bigger and better. So this will I do. I will pull down my barns and I will build greater. And there I bestow all my fruits and goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thy ease, eat, drink, and be merry. So here's a man that says, Listen, I've got enough stuff now. I'm just going to coast out the rest of my life. I'm just going to take it easy now. I've got my goal. I could be happy and satisfied with what I have. I'm going to take a life of ease. Let me just, it's what everyone was looking for, right? To retire at age 24 and never work a day in your life. To get to the place where, listen, I don't have to wake up if I don't want to. I don't have to be uh, fruitful. I've got enough. I could just coast out the rest of my life. That's what most people think the American dream is. Just to get to the place where I don't have to do anything. Notice if you don't mind, as Jesus talks to them, this fool makes three mistakes. The first mistake, he mistook his bank book for the Bible. He mistook his bank book for the Bible. He measured his success in riches. Notice how many times he says, my. And he thought with himself saying, what shall I do because I have no more room to bestow my fruits. This will I do. I'll pull down my barns and I will build greater. And there I'll bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, my soul. Now all of this, he is looking at his bank book and he is seeing his success on his riches. What he should be measuring his success is in his obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember what Jesus just got through teaching? That you're going to stand before God and give an account. That you need to be more afraid of God than man. And that he's the one that we need to be pleasing. And you may measure your success and riches. But that's not how God measures success. Our true success is not in our size. Or our success or our riches. But in our likeness to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how God measures success. You could be the richest person in the world and not be right with God. You can have all your retirement settled and not be right with God. God is the one that we have to please and he's the one that we have to measure ourselves through. Not can we retire, not do I have enough, but am I like the Lord Jesus Christ. The never-ending pursuit of Jesus Christ. What's the second mistake? His second mistake is that he mistook his body for his soul. He mistook his body for his soul. Notice in verse 19. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. In this he is addressing the wrong thing. The eat, drink, and be merry takes care of his body. But it does nothing for his soul. His soul needs to be right with God. Remember, your soul is made of intellect, will, and emotion. And those need to be separated and sacrificed and submitted to the Lord. And yet he is saying, as long as my body is taken care of, I'm fine. You know, you could have good health and your heart not be right with God. Amen. You could have good health and your thinking be not correct compared to the scriptures. You could have good health and your decisions not lining up with the Bible. He mistook his body for his soul. And he, again, he began to talk to himself and I'm going to relax. What use does a soul have with barns? What use does a soul need from fruits? Your soul needs to be fed from the Bible. And he neglected. He mistook his soul for his body. What's another mistake that he made? He mistook time for eternity. He mistook time for eternity. Evidently, he was a young man. He thought he had many years. But you know what God said? 
Notice in verse 20. But God said unto him, Thou fool. This night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? Here's this man that God called poor. He thought he had plenty of time. But instead he wasted the time that he had. And someone got all of his stuff. You know that's an important thing to know. You can't bring your stuff with you. You can't, you don't ever see a U-Haul behind a hearst. It doesn't work that way. You can't take your stuff with you. When you die, the house that you worked so hard to live in, someone else will live in it. That car that you wanted so desperately, someone else will drive. All your stuff will go to someone else. All your stuff will be a garage sale item one day. I just got through talking with a widow in the last couple days who doesn't live in this state. And they were talking about, I don't know what to do with my husband's stuff. It was important to him and I I don't want to get rid of it because it was important to him, but no one else has a use for it. Yeah? She goes, what do I do with it? Am I going to throw it away? Probably. Probably. Because it was only good to him. And just stuff. And one day all the stuff. I mean that's what garage sales are all about. That one day that stuff was very important to someone. They just had to have it. And after using it for a couple days. A couple weeks. A couple months. They got put in a closet somewhere. Put in an attic. And then one day that thing that you just had to have. You have no more use, so you put it on a table and just sell it for a fraction of the price. Someone else can have your stuff that you just, one day, you could not live without. Someone else took the stuff. But he lived for this time, but he didn't live for eternity. And he wasted the entire eternity because he wanted stuff. Which leads to a second thing now. As Jesus Christ finishes that parable, he now teaches some more about this fool that he's dealing with. And he's teaching the crowd not to be covetous. The second thing is to seek the kingdom of God. To seek the kingdom of God. Notice with me, if you don't mind, as we pick it back up in verse number uh, 21. So is he that layeth up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God. And he said unto his disciples, therefore, so notice that therefore, you always see what it's there for. Because of this fool that he's dealing with who interrupt him, because this guy gets up and is talking about stuff, Jesus Christ teaches this parable, and now he's making the application to the people listening. Therefore, I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat, Neither on the body or what you shall put on. Life is more than meat and the body is more than raiment. So Jesus says, listen, you don't need to be spending all this brain power on stuff. There's better things to think about on what you're going to eat. Guys ever notice that when you're driving to camp, they have on the side of the road plastic crivets, the I don't know diner. That's to kind of ruin all those arguments when you say, where do you want to go eat, honey? And you talk for 30 minutes and finally the answer you get is, I don't know. Let's go there then. Think about all the discussion we have about food. What are we going to eat? I don't know. What do you want to eat? I don't know. All this brain power that goes on food. And then the putting on of raiment. You remember when you had to go and press someone and you took all of your clothes out of your closet and you put it on bit by bit and looked at the mirror and tried to do the... And you spent hours trying to find the right outfit just to go meet some guy who's going to buy you a hamburger. All that time wasted on trying to figure out what you're going to wear, what clothes you need. And it didn't have a lot of impact on anything. But using up time. Your body is more than food. Your body is more than just what you're wearing. 
Your life consists of more than that. Jesus then gives illustrations. 24. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, neither have a storehouse nor a barn, and God feedeth them. How much more are ye better than the fowls? Now think about that. Ravens, you don't see them farming. They don't have barns where they could go check on all their stuff. But have you ever seen a starving raven? God's able to feed them. And aren't you more in God's sight than a raven? Absolutely, he cares for you. Verse 25, which of you, with taking thought, could add to his stature one cubit? Remember, one cubit is the measure between your elbow to your, to your fingertips. The average cubit is 18 inches. So think about this. Which of you can close your eyes, squinch your face, squinch it up, put your hands, come on, grow, grow. You remember doing that when you were a teenager, right? Grow, grow. And just by thought, you could go ahead and grow a foot and a half. I mean, some of you mastered that yet? Zeb? <laughs> now, you can't do that. Notice verse 26. If ye then not be able to do the thing which is the least. What? You can't do that? That's the least, God said. You can't do that. How do you really plan on taking care of yourself? If you can't just make things happen with a thought. You understand really how helpless we really are? You can't adjust your size as much as you want. You can measure yourself all the time. Your weight may fluctuate, but your size does not. If you can't do that, really, what can you do in your life? God's the one who has to take care of those things. If you're not able to do the thing which is the least, why take ye thought for the rest? You know, when it's all said and done, you're getting a brand new body after all anyways. This body's only going to last a while. No, you should take care of it, but you can't make it grow. God's got things taken care of. Verse number um, 27. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They toil not, they spin not. Yet I say unto you that Solomon all of his glory is not arrayed like one of these. Have you ever seen a beautiful field of flowers and how gorgeous they are? And you watch people take, uh, stop and take pictures because they're so beautiful. And God says, listen, the flowers didn't make themselves pretty. I did that. Solomon couldn't make himself as pretty as all of those fields are with all the beautiful flowers and put them together. God did that. Verse um, 28. If then God sins so clothe the grass, which is today in the field and tomorrow cast in the oven, what's going to happen? You're going to mow the lawn. Winter's going to come and the grass is going to die. It just It's temporary. How much more will he clothe you, O ye of little faith? Now he starts to get a little bit more personable. For those people who spend all of their life thinking about money, finances, and things, you know what God says? You have little faith. Can't you trust God to take care of those things in your life? Can you trust him to supply your needs? Don't you believe that he loves you enough to give you what you need? Of course he does. Notice as he goes on, verse 29. And seek ye not what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, neither be ye of doubtful mind. Meaning, I don't have to doubt. God will take care of me. Now, the problem is, is that we get wants and needs taken care of. God didn't send me a steak today. Why does he hate me so? Did you eat? Are you starving? God knows how to take care of you. We get our wants and our needs mixed up sometimes. And us rich Americans are not satisfied with leftovers. We're not satisfied with uh, what mom made. We're not satisfied with whatever cooking uh, someone makes for us. And we spend a lot of time complaining about what we don't have and what we want compared to what we have in our hands. Those are different things. God knows how to take care of us. Verse 31, But rather ye seek ye the kingdom of God 
And all these things shall be added unto you. What things? The food, the raiment, the clothes. That if we take care of God's business, He'll take care of our business. It is amazing. If we take care of His business, He'll take care of ours. Do you have a Bible? Do you read God's Bible? This is His business. Are you telling people about the Lord? Are you faithful to church? That's his business. Well, no wonder people are struggling because they're not willing to take care of God's business. Let me tell you, it says that seek the kingdom of God. If you can't bring a Bible to church, you're not seeking after God. If you're not reading your Bible every day, you're not seeking after God. If you're not spending time in prayer, you're not seeking after God. If you have to fight even just to come to church, you're not seeking after God. I mean, those are basic things. And if you're not even doing those tiny little things, you're definitely not seeking after God. No wonder you're worried about finances. No wonder you're worried about clothes. No wonder you're worried about food. Because your heart is in the wrong place. Your heart is stuck on the here and now rather than eternity, and you're making the same mistakes as the parable of the rich fool. Again, Jesus is addressing the crowd. He's got a fool right there. Everybody's looking at him. And by the way, no one was thinking that guy was super spiritual when he interrupted Jesus. Most of them were like, oh man, don't tell him that he's my neighbor. Ooh. And nobody, nobody look at me. It's, I know it's my brother. Please don't. Everybody knows he's a fool. And they're looking at him. And Jesus doesn't address him no more. He's using them on. That's a fool. Don't be like a fool. Let me tell you. You should be seeking after God. Not after the temporary things. Your life is more than just stuff. And God has more things for you. Seek after him. Put your heart in his kingdom. He's got something much more for you. And then Jesus steps it up. Again, not only should we seek after the kingdom of God, but where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So let's look. Verse number 32. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you, the kingdom. What kingdom is he speaking of? The millennial kingdom when Jesus Christ establishes things on earth. You know that this world, you may live 80 years. And this world, the best you could get is nothing compared to what God wants to give to you in the kingdom. And you know what? When you get to the kingdom, there are going to be so many people are going to be missing out. Because they wouldn't trust God here. They wouldn't invest in eternity here. They were so worried about stuff here that for a thousand years they're going to miss out on all the stuff that God wanted them to have. Because they chose to put their heart in this world rather than the next world. Verse 33. Sell ye that ye have and give alms. Provide yourselves bags which wax not old, a treasure in heaven that faileth not, where no thief approaches, neither moth corrupted. Here he's saying, guess what? You need to sell what you have here. The idea here is that you need to not be worrying about getting treasure here. You need to be investing for that next world. That next world is where it's all about. And give alms. You want to see where someone's treasure is? Give me your checkbook. Give me your bank statement. We'll see where your treasure is. Right? Amen. Are you believe that God is doing a work? Well, it should be backed up. Now, again, church people who are here, I don't preach on finances often. When it comes up in the Bible, we preach it. We're not trying to get your money here. You understand that, right? That's not what we're trying to do. But we are preaching what the Bible is. If you have a heart for God's things, you have no problems giving. Right? Amen. We're giving Bibles. We've already given out three rolls of paper to get Bibles out. 
Because we know that even though those Bibles, we will never see them. We know that they're going out to go tell someone the promises. We're putting our treasure in something that's going to last forever. We've been giving to help people come to camp. It may not do you any good here on this earth. But when we're investing in young people to get to camp, we're investing in others. Isn't it making them, giving them decisions and helping them get close to the Lord that will last forever? Absolutely. That's what we're talking about. We're not trying to build a storehouse here. Everything that comes in here goes out. But it goes out for projects that are helping get the gospel out. You know, we... Every once in a while, we have to buy tracks. Where do those money come from? Our people give, and we buy tracks, and then we pass out the tracks. And we're investing in our community, seeding the Word of God. You see, our treasure is with God, and it is backed up with our giving. It is evidenced by our giving. We're giving up here. Last year, we gave in our small little church. $3,000 for our missions conference last year. And it able to supply, to to give a love offering to the preacher. To be able to give a good missions um, um, banquet. To do all the other stuff. And you know, that's investing in other people. I'm so thankful for the heart of this church that we are givers. And I know it doesn't, people sometimes look at their size and say, How in the world do you support all those missionaries? Because our heart is, tr- is putting up treasure somewhere else beyond here. And we're willing to give. And by the way, we don't have millionaires here. We don't have thousandaires here. But little as much when God is in it. You understand that's what we're speaking about. I'm not trying to get the money because I'm not getting paid that much. It's not about us. We're investing in eternity. Does that make sense? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know, it's very hard to cheer for the preacher to fail if you're giving. Amen. It is very hard to hope that the church collapses if you're giving to it. Amen. You understand that once you start investing in it, you want it to succeed. You, you, you start to say, well, I'm concerned. I want to be there. I want to see more people come to church. I want to be there in church. If I'm giving money to it, well, then I want to see it take off. You understand where your heart is. Amen. Let your loins be girded about and your lights burning. And ye yourselves, like men, wait for their Lord. Now notice this. This is good stuff. And ye yourselves like men that wait for their Lord when he will return from the wedding that when he cometh and knocketh they may open unto him immediately. Now, there's some context to go to here. Remember that in the Hebrew days they didn't set appointments about when you would uh, get married. They didn't say a December 6th at uh, 2 o'clock in the afternoon. What they did do is that the Lord would prepare a house and when it was prepared and it was completed, then he would go and get his bride. And it may be morning, maybe noon, maybe night, maybe soon. They didn't know when it was. And so the, uh, the master would go to go get his bride and the servants didn't know when he was going to come back. And so they didn't have GPSs. They weren't able to kind of track his thing and see where he's coming back. They just had to be prepared. So that's the context. Let's read that again. Verse 36. And ye yourselves like men wait for the Lord when he return from the wedding that when he cometh and knocketh they may open unto him immediately. There's nothing like the master of the house coming and knocking on the door that's locked up. You know, and when he knocks he expects someone to be waiting for him to open the door. Waiting for him to be, uh, for them to take care of him. Not, oh wait, I'll get there in a bit. I'm in bed. Hold on. They were waiting for him to get back. Even though it may have been inconvenient for them. Our master is coming back. We're waiting for him to come back and we're making everything prepared. So when he comes back, we're ready. And we could, whatever he asks, we're ready to do. Verse 37, someone has said, is the greatest promise to believers in the Bible. 
Notice this promise with the same context. Blessed are those servants whom the Lord when he cometh shall find watching. Verily I say unto you that he, who's this he? The Lord, the master, shall gird himself and make them the servants to sit down to meet and will come forth and serve them. Think about this promise. That if we the servants are waiting for Jesus to come back and we're waiting and as soon as he says something, we're prepared. We're ready to do whatever he says. The Bible says that if we are found waiting, our hearts are prepared, we're looking for him. When he comes back and he finds us waiting, that he's going to take the servants and he's going to sit them down and he's going to take on the servant's towel and he is going to take care and serve his servants. That Jesus is coming back. And if we're doing what we should when he comes back, he is going to reward us by him serving us. But he's the master. That's what the promise said. Wow! Would you rather have where God honors you in front of everyone and serves you because you were waiting and serving, ready to serve him? That's pretty amazing promise, isn't it? That promise doesn't include everyone. Only those that have their heart in the right place. That are fearing God. Serving Him. Preparing for Him. Watching for Him. Looking for what does He want me to do next. Whatever my master tells me, I'm ready to do. That is a powerful promise. Where is your heart? That's where your treasure is going to be. Is your heart on what God is doing and preparing for his kingdom? Or is your heart on the here and now? On yourself? On your needs? On your wants? On your stuff? Which world are you living for? Verse 38. And if he shall come in the second watch... Or come in the third watch and find them so blessed are those servants. Now, in the evening, there are four watches of the night. First watch, second watch, third watch, fourth watch. Here it says if it comes in the second watch. If it comes in the third watch. Uh, the watches will go <coughs> and cover this period here. If it comes in the middle of the night. The most inconvenient time for most people. Are you ready to serve God in your most inconvenient time? Are you ready to serve God when you're tired and weary? Are you looking for God no matter when he comes? And it doesn't matter. You're just glad that he's coming and you're willing to do whatever he asks. Not everyone's willing to do that. Ask the people who missed this morning. Or missed tonight. Because of some inconvenience. Verse 39. And this know. That if the good man of the house. Had known what hour the thief would come. He would have watched and not suffered his house. To be broken through. Now think about this. If you knew that someone was going to break your house. At 2 o'clock in the morning. Don't you think you'd be waiting there with a gun. Waiting for him. Instead of letting all your stuff be robbed. Here we know that Jesus is coming. We need to be watching because we don't know when he's going to come. Verse number 40. Be ye therefore ready also for the Son of Man cometh at an hour when ye think not. Jesus can come back in a couple minutes. Are you ready? Now, when I say that, people are like, yeah, I'm done with this world. No, 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 no. Have you served him and are you prepared to meet him? Are you prepared for him to say, well done, thy good and faithful servant? Or, as we saw earlier in that message of this morning, is he going to be ashamed when he sees you? I thought you were a good servant. You weren't. You weren't watching for me. You weren't waiting for me. You weren't looking for me. You knew I was your master. But instead, I find you in my closet, trying in my clothes and trying to look for your my going through my stuff, trying to think about how you look, instead of waiting to meet my needs. Now, all this came because some fool who ignored Jesus' message comes up 
Tell him to give me my stuff. And Jesus said, you're a fool. Addresses the crowd. Says, since we're here, beware of covetousness. And let me tell you, your life is more than the abundance of things. Your life is more than stuff. You have something beyond this world. And God is going to rule for ten, for a thousand years. And we could rule and reign with him. And he has so much more for us on that other side than this world can offer right now. Which world do you live for? Where is your heart? Because where your heart is, the treasure is also. Seek ye the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added. Now again, this is a matter of the heart. I can't see your heart. I can see your actions. But you know your heart. This is a message not between you and me. This is a message between you and your heart. This is a message between you and the Lord. You could go ahead and do the right things and say the right things and look the part. But you know your heart. Where is your heart? And where is your treasure? Is it on things and the abundance of stuff? Or is it on God and what he has to be accomplished? Are you lining yourself up with your pocketbook? Are you lining yourself up according to the Bible? The true success of a man is not in how much he has or how much stuff he has. But in his likeness to the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.